Uh, I'm thankful that you're here. I believe that you're here for a reason. I believe that uh, you're here because you understand that if there's any hope, that if there's any uh, chance of renewal in our lives, it comes through the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and our redemption found in Christ. And I hope that this su- that Sunday for you is just a testimony or is just a, a small representation of what's already happening in your life throughout the week. If we are to follow God in the way that he has prescribed, Sunday will not be a once a week thing, but it will be an everyday thing where the mercies of God are presented to us through his word and through prayer. And we are growing in it. I pray that Sunday is just a representation of what is happening in your life already, Monday through Saturday. Hope that you remember over the last few weeks where we stand um, and where we, what we have studied. Paul has described um, it, several sermons ago the pagan morality of the world in great detail in the first part of his letter. He has listed a catalog of sins that the pagan world, uh, the pagan people of the world are committing, and he, has high, and he highly condemns these sins. But if you remember what we went into last week, you remember that Paul is not just talking to the pagan world as it concerns our need for uh, God, our need for Christ, and our need for holiness. But you remember Paul turned his attention last week to the Jewish people, the religious people, and he said, but if you call yourself a Jew, he has turned his attention to the Jewish people. The person who has a wealth of religion, uh, last week I, I called it an embarrassment of riches as it concerns freedom to worship and the knowledge of God. And he begins to point out just how much these people have missed the point as it comes to following God. It must have been a shock to religious Jewish people, people who had followed what they thought was following the Lord. They had followed the letter of the law. As a matter of fact, they had gone above and beyond. They said, Lord, we're not just going to follow the law that you've given us. We're going to make for ourselves extra things to make sure that we're really following the law. To which we find out that's never a good idea. It's never a good idea for you to make up your own set of laws when you're having trouble following the ones that God has first prescribed. So this person has a wealth of religion. And to this point, they're standing behind Paul. They're like that, they're like that little pipsqueak in a fight like you see in a movie or whatever. Um, you know, this probably happens in real life. But they're standing behind Paul and they're saying, yeah, hand on Paul's shoulder. You tell them, Paul. You tell them about all of their sin. You tell them where, they're, where they've gone wrong. And last week we found out Paul turns around and he says, but you, you too. See, it's all of us. It's all of us who need the message of the gospel. And in our own ways, without the help of, without the complete redemption of Jesus Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we pervert the gospel. We pervert the good things that God has placed in our path to help us to pursue holiness. Paul turns around and says, I'm not sure why you're cheering 
because you're guilty also. Would you read with me today Romans 2? I'm going to read 21 through 29. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst, <clears throat> among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? That's a little confusing, and we'll explain all of that in just a little bit. But 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. We pray with me today. Lord God, today we ask as people who earnestly desire to follow you that you would circumcise our hearts. That you would break down the hardness, that you would chip away at the hardness of our hearts. That we may follow you in spirit and in truth. Lord, that we may understand that following Christ is not outwardly or physical. And it's not by the letter, but by the heart and the Spirit. Lord, help us to trust you, to follow you, so that the world may know you and be changed by you and you alone. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus, who has saved us. Amen. Today I want to finish Romans chapter 2 with two more reasons why the Jewish person and the religious people alike were condemned by the law. Then I will finish with one set of steps to take for reconciliation and peace with God. So we have two from last week, and if you took notes, you have them. If you didn't, then it's your fault, and you don't have them. You can listen to the sermon. Uh, from last week online. But the third point and the reason why the Jewish people and the religious person is condemned alike is because of a levy of charges, a levy of charges that have been brought against them. Look at verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say the one who must you you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Paul speaks to these Jewish people and they have this syndrome that makes them believe that they are fixers, but actually they are the ones who need to be fixed. This is a certain problem amongst religious people who know all of the answers and have everything solved. When it comes time, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes time to talk with them about um, their own shortcomings or their own difficulties, 
Oftentimes, they have the inability to see where they fall short. I've often said this, and I hope that this doesn't hurt your feelings, because this is not necessarily a rule, and it doesn't exactly apply to everyone. But the easiest people that I've ever pastored are new Christians and people who have come from unsound theological backgrounds and have, are starving for the truth. Those are the easiest people who I've ever pastored. New Christians and people who have come from unsound theological backgrounds who the Holy Spirit has illuminated their life and they're starving for the truth. Now this does not apply to everyone, but it may apply to you or may have applied to you in the past. The hardest people that I've ever pastored are people that have been in church their entire life, have all of the answers, and think what I preach or teach is better suited for another person to hear than they themselves. The hardest people to pastor are often the ones who say, boy, I sure wish so-and-so were here today, was here today to hear that sermon. While others are saying, I sure needed to hear that. The reason for this is that the religious man often thinks that his knowledge and his understanding equates to righteousness. That his knowledge of God somehow exonerates his failing in obedience. In the verses we looked at last week, Paul said, You are a light. You are a guide to others. You correct and you teach the young, or at least you think you do. Because today he says, You who think you teach, do you not teach yourselves? This goes back a few weeks when... We discussed what it meant to get the log out of your own eye before you got the speck out of someone else's. If I'm being honest, pastors have this problem too. We or you may develop this sort of godlike mentality where the rules apply to you only in the sense that they're good to help you judge the behavior of others, while not always living them out. So to pr- further prove this point, Paul brings three charges against these religious people. He uses the Ten Commandments to point out the three ways that these superior intellect, Jewish, superior law-keeping Jewish people were mishandling the law. He uses the Eighth Commandment, he uses the Seventh Commandment, and then he uses a statement on how they break the first two Commandments, do not, do not steal, do not, no, do not commit adultery, no other gods, and no graven images. Now, we aren't specifically taught how these laws were broken amongst these people. I mean, lying is relatively prevalent in our culture. I imagine it's been relatively prevalent in any culture. As a matter of fact, um, many people in their occupation, if they're not lying, they're not winning. They're not doing it right. So lying is prevalent. So, I mean, it's not hard to imagine how that was. Adultery is prevalent in ways that was not exact ways that's prevalent in our culture, but in ways that was still prevalent at the time. Remember, the Bible says if you look on a woman with lust that you've committed adultery in your heart. And then graven images and, and no other gods before me. It's prevalent in our culture today as it was in that culture. We struggle and we fight to keep the law. But what Paul is pointing out here is, is that these Jewish people are failing to keep the most keepable laws. 
These are the most keepable laws. These are the ones that, if anything, if you can do anything, you should not be able to lie, right? You should be able to control your tongue. If you can do anything, you should be faithful to the one person that you've committed to love for the rest of your life. If you can do anything, you should put no other gods before the Lord. But yet, these laws are still being broken. There's a weird thing that happens when someone succumbs to legalism. They struggle less to keep the big laws of God, but act as if the small laws don't apply anymore. Have you ever noticed this in your own life sometimes? Sometimes you do this internal comparison. You may not be vain enough to say it out loud, but sometimes you do this internal comparison and you say, like we, like we had those schedules of sins, right? We talked about that schedule of sins. Wow, that one's a big one. Glad I don't struggle with that one. While maybe stretching the truth or lying is prevalent in your life. Or maybe gossip is prevalent in your life. Or maybe some form of, of sexual deviance is prevalent in your life. But at least I'm not like that person. At least, at least that is not the sin that I struggle with. Thank you, Lord, that I don't struggle with that sin. And, not, and I'm not telling you to go out and like commit the big ones just so you can not be this, fit this uh, profile. What I'm saying is, is that legalism says, man, at least I don't do the big sin, whereas holiness says, I need to eradicate sin in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness doesn't say, at least I don't commit the big sins and sort of overlook the little sins. Righteousness says, every sin is an affront to God, and I will fight until the death. I will fight until my last breath to make sure that I am doing everything that I can to be righteous before a holy God. I may tell a lie every now and again, but at least I don't steal. I may look at stuff online that I shouldn't, but at least I don't actually cheat on my wife. It is the plight of formalism. When we learn and grow in knowledge... We decide what the big sins are. It is the plight of legalism. Those are two, those are the same thing, just in case you don't understand the terminology of formalism. It is the plight of legalism when we grow in knowledge, when we grow in understanding, when we determine what the laws are that we follow, and then we count it unto ourselves as righteous. We try to use the knowledge that we have to do right, and we count it as righteousness. We point out virtue, and we identify sinful behavior, and we count it as righteousness. This is not the plight of the man of faith. The Bible says Abraham believed unto God, and it was counted unto him as righteous. It is our trust in Christ through the Spirit of God and the redemption, the adoption of the Father that makes us righteous and nothing else. Often what happens to a person who, who trusts in anything else is horrifying. It's horrifying. We see staunchly religious and learned people doing atrocious things. And the world looks at profess, professing Christians and says, none of my friends would behave that way. What happens is, in a legalistic and a formalistic setting, is we clean the outside of the cup and we leave the inside of the cup untouched. Matthew 12, 34, uh, 12 43 explains this from a spiritual dynamic. 
It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. Then they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation friends what is hap- what happens in our story here is a spiritual understand in the spiritual realm is this we clean the outside of the cup and with a broom we shoo the one weak demon out of our life and we fail to make sure that the inside is sanctified and then what happens is that devil that demon brings reinforcements into our lives and he Excuse me. And at that point, he really messes us up because we thought we were spiritual. We thought we were under control. We thought we were in the will of God. And then when the powers that overcome us come, they prove otherwise. Friends, legalism might fight off the power of the enemy temporarily. Getting your life cleaned up and right It's a good southern thing to say, right? That's a good Baptist southern or religious evangelical southern thing to say. I'm going to get my life right. I've been backslidden for a little bit. I'm going to get my life right. Getting your life right may knock out the one weak demon. But when he comes back with his friends and Jesus is not at the door of the house to guard it, you will be in more trouble than you were before. Friends, because what happens is, what happens is, We clean the outside of our cup. But we don't trust in Jesus to clean us on the inside. And this is why you see people who follow God, who trust God, who know God, who who seemingly live for God and do big things for God. This is why you see them fall in drastic and crazy and ways that you wouldn't believe. Because they are being propped up by self-righteousness and not by the righteousness of God. The demon comes back and he says, the house is swept up. It looks like it's in order. But what was the key there? It's empty. There was no one there to guard it. Legalists often have everything swept up and in order. With no one to guard the home. This form of legalism creates a huge problem. And it's the fourth reason why they were condemned. And will also be the same reason for our condemnation. If we make sure that we have not corrected course. The fourth reason is a war with the gospel. They were condemned because they were in a war with the gospel. Look at verse 24. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. Now I want to talk about this circumcision part briefly, and then I have a main idea that I want to pull from this. Now under the Jewish moral code, under the Jewish moral law, it was believed that God would not reject a man who was circumcised. It was believed that just that physical act was enough 
that God would not reject you at judgment day. Now we know about circumcision as it relates to this religion. It was an outward sign of belonging to the covenant people. And it was so strongly believed that many people held on strictly to their circumcision as their ticket to eternity with God. Or just a simple acknowledgement um, is like a simple acknowledgement saying that uh, uh, like we do today. Um, I believe in Jesus. I walked the aisle. I prayed a prayer. The sinner's prayer is probably the most relatable thing to circumcision of the time. It often is a thing that makes us feel like we have a connection to God. But friends, I want to tell you, if the sinner's prayer is not followed by the sinner's obedience, it is as hollow as the circumcision was for the Jews. The sinner's prayer and circumcision and walking an aisle and being a part of a Bible-believing church and an expositor, expository pre- with an expository preaching pastor is all hollow if it's not followed by a person who is obedient to the Christ that they claim to follow. Paul said that the person who doesn't have his foreskin cut who does have his foreskin cut, but does not have his heart circumcised, this person truly does not belong to God. And even if there isn't a physical experience like the Jew had, that that man who is going to be saved will be saved by his acknowledgement and his trust in Christ as the only way Not by walking an aisle, not by a physical outward expression, but by the work of Jesus Christ alone. What had happened with God's people then happens with God's people now, and it's especially prevailing in the Western church, and it's this. There were many people claiming favor with God while doing nothing to back up the claim and therefore becoming a mockery and a blasphemer to the ones who observed them. This person is not a friend of the gospel, but at war with the gospel. It's like the, it's like the athlete who wears the jersey, has all the gear. He wears all the gear outside in public, and he doesn't put in the work to know the plays. And when his time come, comes, he makes everyone else look bad on the field. Friends, you need to hear this part more than you hear anything I say today. And then re-listen and hear everything else just equally. <laughs> Friends, atheists and polytheists and depraved sinners and the system of this, war, uh, of this world are all at war with the gospel. I understand that. But do you know the greatest threat to the spread of the gospel? It is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the doors of their church and then live as if he doesn't exist. The Bible taken out of school is not the greatest threat to the gospel. It's parents who don't open it at home for themselves and for their children. Sexual perversion is not the greatest threat to the gospel. It is Christians who dissolve marriages at the drop of the hat, cheat either directly or indirectly with pornography, or maybe ladies who have a strong emotional ties to another man. 
The problem is not Democrat or Republican president, but Christian who, Christians who campaign harder for a man than for the gospel, as if the president can save our souls. The problem, the problem isn't a lack of expositors. It's not a lack of the right kind of churches. It's not a lack of missionaries or church planners. It isn't a lack of money or even the rise of false teachers. The problem with our world today is Christians who make a mockery of God amongst those who don't believe because they give Jesus. Jesus' lip service, and that is all. Remember when we read that one of the greatest ways to show the world that Jesus is alive and that he is the Son of God? The Bible says this. It is by the church who shows love and who shows love well. Well, hear, hear this. The greatest threat then to the spread of the gospel is us as we fail to live up to the standard of godliness and instead replace it with legalism or moralism or licensure or anything else that we might put in its place. Your friends don't need someone else like them. If that is what we want so badly, what we need to do is be what our friends want us to be and stop calling ourselves Christians. Because your friends aren't dumb and they understand that you and they are not like Jesus and you are like them in almost every way, which means that you are also not like Jesus in any way. <clears throat> Honestly, what we find is like the end of the classic Scooby-Doo shows. It's this monster this whole time, right? And at the end of the Scooby-Doo, every end of every Scooby-Doo show is like so that, so that the kids wouldn't be super scared, although my kids are still relatively scared at Scooby-Doo type shows. But at the end, they pull off the mask and they go, it was old man Grimley the whole time, you know? What we find is, what we often find is, we say, homosexual perversion is an enemy of the gospel, False teachers are an enemy of the gospel. The Democratic Party is an enemy of the gospel. And we say, look, let me pull off the mask and show you. And what we find is our face under the mask. Because, friends, what we need to know is the world is just looking for people to be who they say they are. And for Christians to honor God by a lifestyle that is modeled after Jesus. There is a path to reconciliation, friends, for you and for everyone else. And that's the last part of today's sermon. There is a path to reconciliation. <clears throat> Look at verse 28, and I'm just going to lay this out just as it is in the verse. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The path to reconciliation, friends, is understanding that the problems we face and the growth we need cannot come from mere physical actions. Yes, physical activity is a part of being a belonging to God, but it cannot come through mere physical actions. There are four comparisons I want us to take a look at in verses 28 and 29, and I think they're important to know and to follow along the path of reconciliation. The first is this. No one is a Jew outwardly. A Jew is one inwardly. No one is a Jew outwardly. This is an apparent or perceived righteousness. No one belongs to Christ by just an apparent or perceived righteousness. But he is a Jew inwardly. This is actual righteousness. By faith, Abraham believed, and it was counted unto him 
as righteousness. It has been the way to God from the beginning, faith. And it will be the way to God until we don't need a way to God anymore because he has returned and he has taken us home. No one is a Jew outwardly. This is an apparent or perceived righteousness. A Jew is one inwardly. That's verse 28. This is actual righteousness. He, he expounds on that in verse 28. No one is a Jew, um, <coughs> excuse me, no one is a Jew outwardly, nor, excuse me, no one is a Jew mere, merely outwardly, um, nor is circumcision outward and physical. No one is a Jew outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. This is not a perceived righteousness. This is not a ritualistic righteousness. This is not a ritualistic righteousness. You cannot add enough ritual. You cannot do enough ritual to add enough righteousness to the righteousness tank to save you. You cannot take communion enough times. You cannot be ordained or appointed as a leader of the church. You cannot be baptized enough times. Listen, some of us in our past have tried it, right? I've been dunked twice. Anybody in here been dunked more than once? Right, we've tried it. You can't be baptized enough. You can't be baptized enough. It is not a ritualistic righteousness. It's not circumcision. It is not a ritualistic righteousness. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is what? A matter of the heart. It's not a ritualistic righteousness. The third thing Paul notes is this, not by of the letter, verse 29, not by the letter. This is a compliance to ceremonial law or really in our day it equals to tradition or it equals to the things that we keep that we think that if we keep we are obeying God. Not by the letter but what? Look at verse 29. What does it say? Not by the letter but by the Spirit. By the Spirit. This is a spiritual learning, a spiritual understanding. Remember what Galatians says? Walk in the Spirit and you will not succumb to the things of the flesh. And then it goes on to, to speak beautifully of evidences of the Spirit of God. For the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. This is not a compliance to ceremonial laws or tradition or what you might think God approves. But this is a spiritual learning and understanding of God and a following that always produces itself, itself with fruit of the Spirit of God. Then the last one on this road to reconciliation, verse 29. His praise is not from man. His praise is not from man. I want to tell you, friends, this is the one you will, if you've got all three of the first ones right, this is the one you will struggle with the most as you move on in life. His praise is not from man. In your heart, don't answer this out loud, no hands raised, because some of you will do it before I get a chance to say that. How many times in your life have you done something? Have you done something because you knew someone else would know, was looking, or would see, or might approve it, and that was probably your primary motivation for doing that. How many times in your life have you sought the praise of man? Friends, I want to tell you, Christianity is freeing in this way. I mean, in a thousand different ways, but especially in this way. 
Christianity is freeing in this way. That the praise of God is all that matters. The praise of God is all that matters. And I promise you, I promise you, you have to understand this. If you don't already, I'm sure you do, you're all intelligent individuals. The praise of God, that's all that matters. And if we are doing everything that we can to pursue Christ, I promise you, we will get the right kind of praise from man. And even if it, even if it is them condemning us, it is still the praise that we need. Do you understand? Do you understand? This is why as a person we should seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And if our neighbor doesn't love us, but we're loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves and our neighbor doesn't love us because we're, of where we stand religiously, then it is not on us at that point. The path to redemption, the path to reconciliation is not an outward path, although it will produce itself outwardly at times. It is not a physical thing. It is a matter of the heart. It is not by the letter, but by the Spirit. Friends, work hard. Work hard to follow Christ. But work hard to follow Christ because Christ is in you and because of what he's done at the cross. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because even in the, subconsciously, even in the back of your mind, you think or believe that you're somehow earning God's respect or you're earning God's favor by doing. Do because the favor of God is already upon you through the work of Jesus. The gospel is simply this. I am not enough, but God and his work through Christ is. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can be changed. Pray with me today. God, you're good and you're holy. And if those are the only two things we knew about you, it would be enough to follow you, to worship you, to give you praise and honor. Lord, help our lives to be a living testimony of the life of Christ. Would you make us more like Jesus? Would you develop us as little image bearers of God? God, that we may know you, that we may trust you, that we may follow you in spirit and in truth. Trusting and leaning completely on the work of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And only seeking after the approval of God. The appraise of God and not men. Lord, we praise you today. We honor you. Would our lives be a, a living testimony and not blasphemy. That the world may see you and know you, and know that you are alive, and that we may speak the gospel into their lives. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.